0: listening to First Church Charlotte. We're in part number two of our series, Out of the Dark, and I want to show you more insight into the life of Jesus Christ. I want to show you just how he was able to turn the tables on stress because this is what I know. Uh, there is a very strong possibility that there is more than a few of us in the service that we are suffering with stress. We are suffering uh, with isolation. We are suffering with uh, difficulty. Some people are struggling with despair, discouragement. As I mentioned last Sunday, I talked to someone and they said this whole COVID experience is like being stuck in a cave. And I told them, well, maybe it's time to come out of the cave. So if you're watching this wherever you are, that is my kind appeal uh, to you. If you feel like you're stuck in the cave, maybe it's time for you to come out of the cave. So talking about Jesus, will you help me preach? Somebody say, I'll help you. Thank you very much. I feel like this side was going to help me more than this side, but I love this side more. Don't tell them just just because y'all treat me bad and it makes my heart feel warm and and the like. So Jesus knew more stress than anyone who has ever lived. Why? Why do I say that? There are tragedies that Jesus did not go to that are some of the worst things a human can go through. Jesus had no children, but once you have children, you know that the worst thing that could happen to you is to see your children suffer or to lose your child. Uh, You know this. You can see this. You can sense this, and yet you heard me say that no one knew more stress than Jesus himself. Why can I say that? Because Jesus had more than a human life. Jesus, as it were, stood in a place of the suffering servant. He stood in the role of a lamb of God for sinners slain, which means this. All of the sin, all of the pain, all of the loss all of the injustice every broken heart every act of evil it came upon him and crushed him that the rest of us might know what spiritual freedom feels like is anyone thankful for what jesus has done for them in this church here today i think you ought to take a moment right now and lift your hands and say jesus i just want to say thank you for what you've done for me there is nothing we could ever do to say thank you enough for the gift you have given to us. You have taken our sins. You have washed them away. Amen, amen, amen. Jesus knew physical stress. His body was tortured on the cross. Uh, He knew uh, family rejection. His own brothers did not uh, believe upon him. His own mother tried to, in her own way, steer him back into a conventional safe path of religious, uh, shall we say, uh, ministry and direction. And uh, if you read the Gospels, you can see in some of the language there's this this moment where it is as though Jesus is misunderstood by his own family. He is rejected at some level by his own family. Uh, Furthermore, he has the leaders of the day, the religious leaders of the day, uh, threatening his life, calling him a liar. He, he has to stand in his own credibility because the people who have credibility are saying, you are doing it wrong. The leaders that have the authority of the seat of Moses, uh, the priests, uh, the rabbis, the teachers, they are looking at Jesus and they're saying, you are doing it wrong. You are in error. You are a blasphemer. Do you see? Jesus has to stand alone and allow those who would hurt him to hurt him and those who would receive him to receive him. He knew what stress feels like. Two pictures of his life was the first uh, i think most agonizing picture is in the garden of gethsemane where under the stress of the world's sin when he drinks the cup speaking uh, spiritually of the weight of the world's transgression coming upon him uh, in that moment the bible uh, shows us that he under stress exhibited a very very rare physical condition where uh, he bled through the capillaries of her, his skin this is very very rare happens at the very sheer existence of a person's ability to handle stress Uh, that was uh, that was uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and then on uh, Mount Calvary between heaven and earth filled with fear filled with pain filled with questions he is not afraid to show you what it means to be human and lift your voice heavenward and say, my God, my God, why am I going through this? Let me, let me be a painfully a real here with you. If you live long enough, you will live days where you really only have one question, and that is, God, if you loved me, why am I going through what I'm going through? But let me tell you this, in spite of my ability to perceive the justice of God, He is faithful and He is good. I don't know what you're facing in your life, but I've come to give you this message here today. I pray you would receive it in your soul. God is faithful. You may get the job you want. You may not. God is faithful. You may live in the best neighborhood or the worst neighborhood. I personally lived in both of them god is faithful i want you to see to believe to wrap your praise around this truth god is with you life has ups and downs our health has ups and downs our bank accounts have ups and downs but god is faithful can somebody say god is faithful in this house? until finally on calvary the weight of it all crushes the physical ability of uh, Jesus to bear, and he dies on the cross of a broken heart. Uh, Jesus knew stress. He knew the very pinnacle, the very apex of stress. And last week, I gave you four spiritual principles. This week, I'm going to show you uh, some practical principles that even so have spiritual significance. But last week was particularly insightful into spiritual principles. And the First was identification. Do you know who you are? The best way to know who you are is to know who. Somebody say whose. Know whose you are. The second, uh, ad- uh, second principle was uh, your principle of, of deciding who you're going to please. Who am I serving? What am I trying to do? Uh, and what am I going to value? This is your choice. Know who you are trying to please, if you don't decide who you're trying to please, you will be swayed by criticism, you'll be swayed by confrontation, you'll be swayed by competition because you don't know who you're trying to please, and when you don't know who you're trying to please, you unthinkably, unthinkingly compare yourself to whoever's near you, and then you wonder why you're miserable, you wonder why your life feels hollow, you have fallen into a trap where, speaking spiritually, you do not know who you are trying to please. The third principle was, what are you trying to accomplish? Do you have an acceptance in your life of spiritual mission? I want to I appeal to all of you that you need to pursue uh, what moves you in the spirit. You, in your life, need to ask God uh, to open your eyes of understanding, and I often talk to people who are trying to find that next step of spiritual effort and ministry, and I, I always ask them this as a first Question. Uh, What breaks your heart? When your heart is broken, you as it were, had an open door of empathy and compassion towards someone else. What breaks your heart? What moves you in your soul and in your spirit? It could be that that is what God has gifted you to see. Other people don't see it, but you see it. Other people walk right by the need, but it moves you. In the arena of your passion, in the arena of your compassion that is where God is directing you we'll talk more about that and then finally step number four shown to us by Jesus Christ the spiritual principle of surrender and this is I've done my best I've given it all and whatever is left I give it to you somebody practice saying that with me right now whatever I have left I give it to you somebody needs to do that right now in this house you need to say Lord what's killing me right now I give it to you. The reason why I can't sleep at night, I give it to you. What is filling me with fear, God did not cause you to be driven by fear. If you are being driven by fear, there's something you're misunderstanding about the heart of God and the love of God, wooing and drawing and and, and building and strengthening uh, you. I uh, surrender all the pieces of me that I do not have a solution for. I cannot solve, I give them to you. Uh, That is spiritual principles, and I read you four passages in the life of Jesus, Uh, more actually, where you see these principles at work. Now I want to do, if possible, I want to do what I feel like Jesus did a lot in his teaching. Uh, As a young preacher growing up in the ministry, my biggest desire was to be, uh, if you're a church person, you understand this, if you'd aren't a church person or you're kind of a newly trying church person this may not make sense to you uh, the fair warning Uh, as a young preacher I wanted to be powerful I wanted to be powerful. When I, I wanted to preach, and people just be like, My God, my God, I never heard it like that before. I saw 17 angels tap dancing in the left side of the church, and on the right side of the church, I saw three angels singing, We are family. <laughs> I wanted to be powerful because I thought, I thought that the way to help people was to be powerful. Now, to full disclosure, my uh, first years of ministry were anything but powerful, uh, but I tried real hard. Uh, I, the thing that's interesting to me is how often if we grow up that way, um, we think that what the path for most people to grow in their faith is to take um, uh, spiritual things and make them powerful. Uh, so they have a sp- experience of a uh, power of God. Now, I want the experience of the power of God. Uh, I want that. I crave that. You know why we worship the way we worship. You know why we sing the way we sing. We want that. But I want you to see what Jesus did uh, in his teaching was rather than making spiritual things powerful, he made practical things spiritual. <laughs> For example, he taught about uh, sowers who went forth to sow. That's something everyone understood. And then he said, now there's a spiritual insightfulness in this that you need to learn. He taught about the political tension between Samaritan and Jew. And he said, let me tell you a lesson about the good Samaritan. He took master-servant relationships, which everyone understood. It was the economy of the time. And he said, this can teach you about the kingdom of God. So in light of that, I want to try to show you, if the Lord will help me, I want to show you some practical things that the Bible repeatedly shows us about Jesus that has spiritual consequences in our life. And the first one is simply this. Uh, what are you trying to accomplish with your life? Are you living intentionally? Let this be uh, insight to anyone who hasn't thought of this recently. You can't do everything. So what then are you going to try to do? This is a spiritual principle that we think of in practical manner. You could almost call, call this a principle of organization or spiritual organization Jesus taught and he said look here's the thing if you're going to build a tower you need to figure it out You don't need to just run over here and do a little bit of foundation work and then run over here and gather a little bit of materials and then run over yonder and uh, measure out the base. Um, What you need to do is you need to sit down. You need to figure out what it is you're trying to build and what, watch this, it is going to cost you. Every one of us who are strong believers in this house, the majority of us here are strong believers. We don't struggle with whether or not we're going to believe that Jesus Christ is. Is our salvation and our hope we don't struggle with that we may have ups and downs in our lives, but we're not struggling with whether or not we are going to be a believer all right you've settled that you have established that I have a question for you what are you trying to accomplish let me repeat what I said earlier what breaks your heart if you look at the needs in your world and God touches you and fills you with compassion it might be that that is the arena. Of spiritual uh, breakthrough for you. It might be that that is where you should go. That is where you should love. That is where you should help. Is there a category of people that you have empathy for because of what you have gone through? Some of the best uh, uh, small groups for uh, different segments of life experience are taught by the people who have come through that. Therefore, if you want to have a really helpful alcoholic Anonymous group, you find someone who has overcome their addiction. Do you see what I'm saying? What have you come through and how can God use it I want you to see that in that area might be where your spiritual purpose is. If you don't count the costs, if you don't plan your approach, if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish, you will accomplish almost nothing. John chapter number 17, verse number uh, 1 through 4. Jesus is praying before he uh, goes to die at Calvary. And John gives us some of the words that were uh, in this prayer. And I think it's interesting that John was able to do it. He was a little closer to where Jesus was praying. And Jesus is saying, look, I I understand the hours come. Um, I'm asking for you to finish what you've started and I'm asking for you to glorify me as I have glorified you. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What do you see? What's happening right now? Jesus knows who he is. He knows what he's trying to accomplish and he knows who he's trying to please. And then Jesus says this. Watch, verse four. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work That you gave me to do how can you say that Jesus there are hundreds of lepers that still need healing and you're saying you've accomplished your work there are many many sinners who need the restoring power of hope there are Pharisees who need to be rebuked from their moralistic arrogance that's blinded them to their need of a Savior and built walls between them and the people they could minister to. And you're saying that your ministry is done. Jesus is not, is well aware of the fact that he has to decide what he can do because he cannot do everything. And by trying to do a bunch of nothing, he accomplishes. bunch of nothing but by focusing and being intentional about what he is called to do he actually is able to do a lot let me appeal to some people here today uh, I know you've been serving God for a while, but I'm telling you, you've been allowing too many things to take your attention, and the result of it is you're not making much progress on any one thing. I'm glad you're staying saved. I'm glad you're staying, you know, uh, uh, kind of mostly prayed through, but I'm telling you, there is so much more that God would like to do in your life. Figure out what you're going to do. Set your face like a flint toward that which breaks your heart. Ask God for his I'm not preaching to anybody here today somebody needs to receive this in Jesus name you need to receive it and say I am turning my heart toward your purpose in my life oh God it's so easy for all of us to live under the tyranny of the urgent and let busyness be a replacement for spiritual productivity I'm challenging you all to live intentionally if Jesus had to do it how much more do the rest of us need to do it. The second practical principle I'm going to show you in the life of Christ, which has spiritual consequences for all of you here today, is uh, the, the need to concentrate your effort, concentrate your focus, and focus on one thing at a time. Multiple times in the scripture, we are shown the picture of Jesus being pulled by people to do something besides what he intended to do. It's not once that this is shown. It is multiple times shown in the Scripture. Remember this principle. Everything Jesus did, we don't know about. The Gospel writer said if everything was told, the world would not contain the books. But what we've done is we've selected things you need to learn from. It is intentional for us to learn from it. Why would we be shown the picture repeatedly of Jesus having people trying to pull him toward this and push him toward that? Some of them were strangers. Some of them were religious leaders. Some of them were his own disciples who didn't agree that it was time to go to Jerusalem I'll just show you one passage. Luke 4, verse number 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was... They tried to keep him from leaving them. Jesus had already made a plan for the day. Jesus had already focused his attention and his mind for the day. And they're saying, no, 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 let's change the plan. We would like you to stay. Verse 43, Jesus responded, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. I'm challenging all of us here today to try to turn the tables on stress in our life. And I'm showing you the practical stories from the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you this question. If Jesus had to do it, how much more does my carnal hide need to do it? I'm showing you practical stuff. You don't, you don't, you don't need to see an angel to get these lessons of Jesus here today. I'm showing you practical stuff and I'm asking you this question. I'm asking you to consider it Seriously, if Jesus had to focus his attention, if Jesus had to concentrate his effort, how much more does this preacher need to make some rules and set some boundaries and say, no, I'm not available at any time for anything. I must commit myself to what God has ordained for this moment, this hour, this time. Can someone receive that today in the name of Jesus? This is the principle of concentration. I'll show you a prophecy from Isaiah chapter number 50, verse number 4 through 11. There is what they call the psalm or the song of the suffering servant. It is written poetically and beautifully. But what it really is is prophecy of what Jesus would be. Do and his role as a lamb from the foundation of the world. I'm going to read one verse from that passage, verse number seven. And this is the prophet speaking prophetically of Jesus. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. What are you talking about, Isaiah? Isaiah speaking prophetically of the Lord Jesus Christ who knows that he is going to go to Jerusalem. His disciples aren't going to want him to go. They're going to argue with him, but Jesus is going anyway. There's villages that would like Jesus to stay, but he's going to Jerusalem. There's cities that would like him to come there. He's going to Jerusalem, and it is actually a heavier reality than just that. He knows he's going to be betrayed in Jerusalem, but he's going anyway. He knows he's going to be lied about in Jerusalem, but he's going anyway. He knows they're going to beat him with a cat of nine tails, a Roman whip that flays the flesh from the human back. But he's going anyway. He knows they're going to crucify him, lift him between heaven and earth. but. He's going any way. He set his face like a flint. If you can perceive what God's call is upon you and you can focus your attention, you can set your face like a flint, I'm going to tell you today, there will be no telling what you can do for God. <laughs> because in Jerusalem, he's not just going to die. He's also going to come out of that tomb in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they're going to run to see. Has he been, uh, uh, has he come uh, re- back resurrected from the dead? And eventually uh, in Jerusalem, Peter is going to stand up on the day of Pentecost. Why are you going to Jerusalem, Jesus? It's not just to die. I'm going to die, yes, but I'm going to enter into a victory over death where everyone who will receive me can receive the eternal life that is in me. All right, let me move quickly along. I'm, 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 I'm taking too much time here today. The third principle uh, is the principle of delegation. This may surprise you. This may seem like something that doesn't have a spiritual consequence, but I want to challenge you with this reality. Uh, if there was no spiritual consequence to delegation, why do you think the Gospels are primarily about Jesus' attempt to take fishermen and turn them into apostles? delegation matters if jesus chose others to help him how much more do we need to see the fact that we cannot do it all on our own let me read mark chapter number three verse number 13 jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 of them as apostles. They would spend time with him. He would send them out to preach. He would rebuke them when they didn't have faith. He would rejoice with them when the demons were subject to the name of Jesus. Jesus himself realized he needed others. But there's more than just the lessons of the apostles. There's another lesson of delegation. It's not a practical lesson. It's a spiritual lesson. Jesus staggers under the weight of a cross, carrying it and he cannot carry it. The cross crushes him to the ground. And they chose one Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross of Christ. There is a lesson in it. Humble yourself and admit this truth. You can't carry your own cross. God has designed you to be connected with other believers. God has connected you to be a part of a a ministry life and ministry fellowship of a church. The local church is God's plan to change the world you say, I'm not like other people in that church. That's a good thing. We don't need a bunch of elbows within this body. That would just be an anatomy hall. It wouldn't be a church. We need all the body in the church. And so we don't have hands criticizing elbows. I mean, we may, but that's not what we're going for. We don't need elbows criticizing shoulders. We need each other. This principle of reaching out, including and even delegating is so important. Jesus threads it through his own testimony. Amen. So let me make an appeal to you. What have you been trying to fix by yourself because you're too vain to humble yourself and ask for help? Come on. Oh, it's quiet now. That's all right. I can preach quiet. I just go longer. <laughs> what are you carrying that because of pride You will not humble yourself and ask for help. You're not going to carry this on your own. It will crush you into the ground. If Jesus needed someone to carry the load with him, if he needed someone to pass the kingdom to, if Jesus needed it, how much more do you need it? And how much more do I need it? I want to make an appeal to those of you here and to every one of you watching this wherever you are. There are some things that are nearly killing you, that you are not going to defeat unless you humble yourself and you ask for help. You need brothers and sisters in the church to join you in prayer. You need uh, p- friends from a small group to pray for you and care for you and encourage you. You might need a connection with a spiritual mentor or one of our pastors in our church who can join together with you in faith. The defeat you are feeling in your spirit is not because God's not able. It's because you are being held back by your own perfectionism and your own ego. Come on because perfectionism kills you think to yourself if I want it right I'll do it myself no you won't do it right either you'll just do it the way you like it and then your perfectionism will tell you the way you like it's the only way to do it this is a flaw of the flesh can I have an amen amen You'll be surprised how people do it different than you and get good results also. You're not the only one with a secret plan. (laughs) Lay down your perfectionism. Life is so much better with a humble spirit. Uh, Secondly, it is uh, this uh, vanity within us uh, that thinks that we really uh, have to do it ourselves. This is vanity. If Jesus had to do it, how much more should we do it? Finally, the last two are in some ways related, but they are not quite the same thing the first one um, I'm going to do in reverse order if you have the notes the first one I'm going to talk about rest and relaxation Uh, take time off to enjoy the good things that have been accomplished Uh, this is not simply uh, you know uh, the plan of a party goer Uh, this is a spiritual principle Uh, The principle of a Sabbath is part of the core moral code that God gave his people. I want you to see that keeping the Sabbath as a day of rest and spiritual reflection is placed on the same moral plan as not murdering people and not lying, stealing, and cheating on your wife. It's placed on the same level. But some of us, we're so filled with a sense of our own selves, our own needs, and our own sense that we're the only one superhero of the church, the world, and the neighborhood, uh, that we're working seven days a week and not protecting a a Sabbath in our life. Let me tell you something. The Sabbath is more than rest. It's also recreation. Why do I say that? Why did God rest when he created the world? Not because he was tired. God doesn't get tired. He rested because what he had done done was good work. He said, y'all, this is good. We're going to have a party around here and think about it. I know y'all are tired. I'm not tired. We're going to have a party anyway. Just let that be a blessing to you. Go forth, thou art healed. I want you to see if God did it. Somebody say, I need to think about it. Come on, you can do better than that. If Jesus did it, say, I need to do it. It is worse for us because we're not God and we certainly ain't Jesus, although sometimes we act like we are. (sighs) Uh, We need rest and relaxation. Uh, We need recreation and recovery. Uh, If you work with your body, you probably need to rest with your mind. You, You need to think about being a whole person. You need to think about what's creative for you and you're tired in your body. Find a way to rest with your mind. And if you work with your mind, you need to find a way to rest with your body. Get up from that office chair that's killing you and go out and take a walk. And enjoy what God has placed you in. You see what I'm saying? You're being a whole person. You rest in one and uh, versus the other. Rest and relaxation is a spiritual principle. Now let me show it to you in the life of Jesus. This is just one passage, Mark chapter number 6, verse number 31. Because so many people were coming and going that, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he, Jesus, said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And then the final lesson from life is the prin- from the life of Jesus, I should say. The final lesson is a principle of spiritual meditation, spiritual reflection, personal prayer. Mark 1, verse number 35. Jesus often got up very early in the morning while it was still dark and went off to a solitary place. A solitary place to pray no matter how busy he got he understood the need to take care of his soul how how are you doing in the care of your soul I'm glad they like you at work but how's your soul I know your friends are uh, talk about how you're always there for them when they need you but how's the health of your soul I know your investments are doing well but how's the health of your soul I'm glad you're going back to school and getting educated. That's a good thing. But how is your soul? I'm glad you're building a business and building a career. That's honorable in all respects. We were created to work. I believe in the theology of work. I have never not worked. Even now, I have things I work on and in. I believe it as a theology. And I could, I could, I could teach that. I will. I have. I could debate it if you're so cantankerously inclined to, to, to want to uh, debate a sweethearted person like myself but I want you to see I believe in it but how is the health of your soul let me tell you what I know about you if you're not making quiet time you're not praying because prayer grows out of space in your life prayer grows out of time in your life you see, I don't even know how to pray, all right? Do you know how to make some quiet time? And do you know how to just tell God one thing about your heart or one thing about your fear or one thing? If you know how to make a quiet place and sit there and say, God, I want to tell, tell you about uh, this week. If you know how to do that, then you know how to pray because it's in those quiet spaces of your life where your spirit breathes. And if you do not have those spaces, I'm telling you, it will not matter how long you've been attending church. Your health. Of spiritual health is poor. It won't matter how official you have made your faith. It won't matter how orderly other parts of your life is. You have to make time for meditation. Now, why did I give these practical things to you? Because this is the question you have to ask yourself. If Jesus, the Son of God had to do this to survive the crushing stress in his life, who in the name of heaven and earth do I think I am? Come on on now. Is that okay? Is that fair? If Jesus himself had to organize what he was trying to do, if Jesus had to concentrate the time he had, if Jesus had to delegate the duties and needs that he saw, if he had to create rest and spiritual times of recovery, if Jesus had to create space in his life to call upon his heavenly Father, if he had to do it to turn the tables on the crushing stress in his life, Come on now. Who do I think I am? And hear this. Musicians, come. I, I should have called you up early, so hurry up here real fast. We're about to pray together in this place, but I want you to see this right now. If I am not doing these things, it won't matter how much I enjoy church because I'm not failing at church. I'm failing in the grind of my life. And I know people who have lived there, they have great church church is a place of renewal for them as it should be but in the grind of their life in the monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday of their life they're not organizing themselves spiritually they're not concentrating themselves spiritually they're not delegating the duties needs and callings of the of their heart they're not recreating room for spiritual recovery and spiritual restoration and they are not creating space for reflection and spiritual meditation. And if you're not doing that, this is what church will feel like to you. You'll still enjoy it and you'll dread going back to the misery. Of the rest of your life you'll still enjoy when Pastor Melix gets up here and hits the high note you'll still enjoy it whenever Pastor Nate does a good job and preaches better than average you'll still enjoy church but your life will be so compartmentalized that you will have victory in this house and despair as soon as the darkness of your stress settles back on you as soon as the darkness of your house rests in your bones as soon as you get out from under the influence of somebody else's victory. The crushing stress will descend in your life. That's not the will of God. Uh, God did not call you to barely make it. God did not call you to run from fear. He called you to choose courage as a testimony of faith perfect love of God casts out that fear. It's not the will of God that we are stuck in anxiety or or depression. Depression is unresolved issues in your past. Anxiety is unresolved issues in your future. God's not calling for you to fight the past. He died for that part of you. And he's not calling you to be the strength of your future. He gave you a promise. That is the strength of your future. Oh, I wish I had somebody to preach with me here today. You need to see. This spiritual challenge, I've done my best to pour my heart out. If Jesus had to do it, who do you think you are thinking you don't need to do it? Who do I think I am thinking I do not need to do it? The point is not the well-lived life. I mean, all of us want to live a well-lived life, but that's not the point of it. The point of it is not... I am now more organized than I've ever been. It's great to be organized. That's not the point of it. The point is not to brag about stewardship, although stewardship is testimony. And all of you who have the testimony of stewardship in your life, you need to be investing in people who are trying to get their house in order, both uh, in the ordinariness of life and spiritually. What this is about... Is spiritual transformation Jesus doesn't do this so he can live his best life he does it so he can stand in a garden and say nevertheless not my will but thy will be done if Jesus hadn't done it he would have never made it to Gethsemane if Jesus hadn't done it he would have never I'm, I'm speaking in terms of the flesh The flesh, the limits of the flesh. I don't want to speak in terms of uh, him as the wholeness of God-man because he was always going to do what he's going to do. I'm learning from the lessons in the story. If Jesus, the Son of God, had to do it, the only way for you to turn the tables on stress in your life, anybody, would you like to turn the tables on stress in your life? Look at the principles in the life of Jesus. They're told to us for a reason. They're given to us repeatedly by multiple testimonies for a reason. You're going to have to organize yourself spiritually. You need to concentrate your gifts, talents, and callings. You need to join with others, whether it's delegation, learning, joining as a local church. You need to create space in your life for recovery, recreation, relaxation. And finally, you need to create a spiritual renewal of meditation, reflection. And I'm challenging some of you here today because you should be doing uh, so much more than you have been able to do because you have not taken the time to live the spiritual principles that Jesus manifests, testifies, the gospel writers share in his life. But today, we're coming out of the darkness. Can somebody say amen? Today, we're making a change. How many of you will say, I receive this word from the Lord in my life? Would you say this in your I receive this word of the Lord. Close your eyes. Lift your other hand right now. Okay, would just stand with me all across the house. Lift your hands in the presence of God right now. And would you- thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast we